welcome to Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep with Western United Dairies. As we mentioned last week, Darby and I are moving back into the field on a regular basis, and sometimes we may be sharing more abridged versions of the podcast or special episodes with our audience, and today is one of those days. Our partners at Bloomling and the International Dairy Foods Association were kind enough to share the most recent episode of their podcast, The Dairy Download, with our listeners. Hosted by Phil Plourd and Kathleen Woofley, today's episode of The Dairy Download delves into the issues of transportation and logistics and is an intensely interesting look at what it takes to keep dairy products moving around the globe. Featuring Patty Smith, the CEO of Dairy America, and Bob Costello, We think you'll really enjoy today's episode, and we hope you'll consider adding the Dairy Download to your podcast subscriptions. I'll let Kathleen and Phil take it away now. This is the Dairy Download brought to you by Blumling Associates and the International Dairy Foods Association, where we offer extra sharp market and policy insights on dairy. I'm your host, Phil Plourd. And I'm your co-host, Kathleen Wolfley. Today's episode is about logistics. We'll talk to the CEO of a company that moves a lot of milk powders around the world. We also spend time with the chief economist of a major transportation industry association. We'll get to all that in a few minutes. Today's episode is brought to you by RSM US. At RSM, we know dairy. With industry-recognized and award-winning Microsoft solutions from Dynamics 365, Office, Teams, Power BI, and more, RSM is your stop for a dairy-focused technology solutions provider. Learn more at digital.rsmus.com. Thanks to RSM, and thank you to our listeners. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe through your favorite platform. And why not tell a friend? We continue to get good feedback. Share your thoughts with us at dairydownload at idfa.org. Okay, Kathleen, where are we now? Well, it is Wednesday, February 17th, and the CME block cheddar market landed at $1.53, down $0.04 on the week. Barrel cheddar finished at $1.44, down $0.06. Butter jumped to $1.49.5, up $0.22 on the week. CME spot non-fat dry milk landed at $1.11, down a penny. So Phil, what do you think is the most important thing right now? I continue to watch the spot milk situation in the upper Midwest with interest. Uh, We've seen big, big discounts uh, every week. In fact, over the first seven weeks of 2021, six of those weeks, the discounts have been among the 10 biggest ever. So lots of extra milk and it's moving at pretty low prices. And that gives cheesemakers and other manufacturers an opportunity to fill their plants with inexpensive milk. And it's a function of the 3% milk supply uh, increase year over year that, that we've been seeing. And so lots of milk in the upper Midwest. You know, Phil, I've been watching this storm in Texas with a pretty keen eye. Snow, freezing temperatures across the state. It's led to forced electricity blackouts, um, natural gas shortages. From a dairy perspective, there are plants that are offline. There's milk that's moving long distances to find homes, if it's even making it off the farm anyway. Dumped milk historically is not bearish. And I think that with these plants that are shut down, that just means that in the near to medium term, we're not going to have quite as much supply. 
Yeah, and there was plenty of milk down there, but uh, you know, at some point, if you're not adding to the pile, you're not adding to the pile, and, and that matters. I know that you live in upstate New York, and, and snow is not uh, as alien to you as it would be to the average native of Dallas or further south in Texas, and, and I think you actually like the, like the snow. Um, I sure do. I don't, uh, and I live in Madison, Wisconsin, so talk about bad life choices. But I uh, saw an interesting uh, stat for my stat of the week, 70 0.4% of the nation has snow cover uh, as of yesterday, according to the National Weather Service. And while the tweet did not provide historical context, they said it's not very often that we see that much snow cover uh, in the U.S. So 70% of the land in the U.S. covered by snow. Your stat. My stat of the week is lumber futures. I know we talked about this a couple months ago, but as of yesterday, lumber futures notched up to $992 per thousand board feet, which is a record high and definitely beats out what we saw back in September. So typically this time of year, it is winter. We we would historically see a slowdown in building, but I think that because people have cash in their pockets from the most recent stimulus funds, appetites for remodeling and building stuff have not slowed. If, if anything, they've actually picked up over the course of the last couple of weeks. So if you're looking to build something or looking to remodel, sorry, it's going to get a lot more expensive. You know, my long position in Home Depot stock has not been enough to offset the higher costs I'm encountering on lumber on a project that we're working on. So uh, we're definitely seeing it. And I think it's that whole, you know, part of the whole fast money trade too, right? The, the inflation trade that we're seeing spill out uh, in several sectors. Okay. It's fearless prediction time. I don't know how many people have this on their calendar as a celebration, but as you know, Kathleen, March 1st is New Crop Butter Day at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, a change in the deliverable supply window uh, every year. And every year we seem to get what we call a new crop pop. This year, I think you said today we're at 149 uh, and change from a spot market perspective. My fearless prediction is that on New Crop Day this year, on March 1st, we will trade somewhere between 160 and 170 per pound, if only for that day and that day only. So 160 to 170 CME spot butter on March 1st. Your prediction. Holy smokes. All right. My prediction is around the GDT auction. So we've watched this GDT index continuing to climb over the course of the last several auctions. I found it really interesting that Chinese buyers came out of the holiday period to continue to buy whole milk powder in this latest auction. So I think that the GDT index could cross $4,000 for the first time since 2014 within the, let's say the next three auctions. Well, Phil, let's get on to our first guest. Today, we welcome Patty Smith to the show. Patty is CEO of Dairy America, a company responsible for marketing milk powders globally for several U.S. dairy cooperatives. Patty arrived at Dairy America last summer, beginning the latest journey in a food ingredient career that now spans 30 years. Patty, welcome to the Dairy Download. Thank you, Phil. It's great to join you today. To state the obvious, you joined Dairy America in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, Not exactly auspicious, I'm guessing. What what challenges did that present as you took over the CEO role and and how did you overcome them and, and what challenges are you still facing today? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the ideal time to take on a new role, especially a leadership role as a CEO. Obviously, you want to come in as a new CEO. You want to learn who your team is. You want to meet your team. You want to get to know 
their strengths and weaknesses. And obviously, I came into a period of time where obviously we have remote people, but we also had people working on what I call alternative work schedules and things because of the pandemic. So what it meant for me is I just worked every day to try to be able to be in the office and see the essential workforce that had to be here and get to know them. So it was a challenge, but we've overcome it. Um, by really, you know, getting together in small groups, really working together, spending a lot of time with technology, just like we are today on Zoom. Um, as I mentioned to my team, and I think, uh, you know, Phil, I've said it to you before, too. I've become a technology whiz kid now because um, you have to. You have to learn how to use all the new technology to be face to face. So you do the best. From a customer and, and ownership perspective, it was challenging because I didn't get to travel. Patty is a supplier to 60 countries. Has Dairy America encountered issues shipping to any regions in particular? And why or why not? Yeah, so um, at, at the onset of the pandemic, um, it wasn't as bad. Things were pretty, what I'll call natural, uh, taking its natural course. It was more of an impact on on staff, people, and, and the markets. But now we're definitely seeing an impact as we look at our, our whole uh, supply chain. And so when you look at it, I'll break it down, even just domestically, getting trucks to move across the U.S., getting the, the trucks to get where they need to go, getting in and out of warehouses because of workforce and, and equipment. But on the more important side that's really impacting us is on the export. Um, when we looked at it, you know, obviously a, a target market for Dairy America, as with a lot of U.S. agriculture, not just dairy, is Southeast Asia. And as we've seen the pandemic circle around, we've actually ran into the situation where shipping lines and the whole supply chain are realigning containers and everything else. So we see loads going back to Southeast Asia from the U.S. with empty containers because those countries are paying to have them come back and get back quickly. So we are losing that space. Um, it also means that we're moving a lot of containers around. Uh, we may make a booking. We may touch that booking six, seven, eight, nine, ten plus times to actually get it out the door where you typically would touch it once or twice from a scheduling perspective. And then also from a Mexico, just switching back to trucks a little bit. Again, getting things south of the border uh, comes back to equipment and personnel. So there's been some backlog there. And then um, the other, probably the most recent one is, is Oceana. We do do business going back to Oceana. And we're seeing less vessels call those ports and also just the less equipment. So we see the impact. We're making it work. We execute as much as we possibly can, cause a lot of rework, a lot of extra work for our team, a lot of communications back and forth with customers. But we're doing the best we can in a pretty, I'll say, traumatic time right now to get through. Do you see any of the conditions easing at all in the medium term? It depends on how you define medium term, right? I mean, if I say medium terms, the next... Uh, you know, let's just call it six months to the end of the year. I think we'll see it ending. Um, but I think the next three to six months, we're still going to see a huge impact. It's, it's kind of like when the airline industry moves planes around in a snowstorm, right? I think people will say it takes so many days to move something around. It's going to take months and possibly into a year for the supply chain to get back into what I call a standard cadence. Despite all these supply chain issues, 2020 non-fat dry milk skim milk powder exports were up year over year. How do you feel Dairy America performed overall? And what are your projections for 2021? Yeah, I mean, 2020, um, you know, obviously I was only here half the year, so I can't really take credit for, for a lot of the things that happened. But no, the, the team was phenomenal. Um, our customer base was was excellent. We, we grew our business. We grew our export business, which is, you know, Obviously, a great thing for us, especially when you saw the, the domestic demand drop off, particularly in the milk powder side of business. So an astronomically phenomenal year for 2020. 
uh, for Dairy America. And, and a big kudos to my team. I have to shout out to them because really with them and our customers and all of our vendors, that's what made it happen. But it was really, you know, keeping the, the eye on the ball, you know, able to go through a lot of hurdles and challenges and make it happen. For 2021, I would say much of the same thing. We're starting off the year with some interesting market conditions. We're starting off the year with uh, the supply chain hurdles ahead of us. But again, you know what? The, the team's focused on it. It's having that strategy in place and making those tactical what I call detours when we need to, to adjust to if it be the business or, or the economic environment. So I, I look forward to another great 2021. USMCA was a big piece of the, the 2020, uh, or at least early 2020. Just curious your thoughts around trade with Mexico. Yeah, I mean, Mexico obviously has been a, a major trade partner for Dairy America from the onset. But yeah, it, it's something that you have to keep focus on. We, we saw some demand challenges in Mexico, some being driven from the, the trade agreements. You know, we saw Europe come in there from, you know, us being an American-based supplier. So there were some challenges there of, you know, more competition getting through the doors is what I call it. Um, and I think now it's just settling down and making sure that we have consistency of what's going across and what regulations are required. And, you know, I always say it means all parties need to, to play the party line and, and play within the rules of the box. And that'll be key. So USMCA was a product of the Trump administration, and now there, there's a new folks in town, so to speak. What are your hopes for general trade policy under the new Biden administration? Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see what I'll call more friendly trade environments. And that's a, that's a relative term. But, you know, when I say that, what I mean is, yeah, there's still going to be those areas that we're not just going to have open doors and a red carpet put out for us to, to enter but, you know, that we not have retaliatory tariffs and things of that nature that impact existing business that we are able to do. And at the end of the day, what I really want to see is that we do have the market access that we need to grow our, our dairy business from the U.S., not just Dairy America, but all of U.S. and all of U.S. agriculture. But then also the fact that more than anything, just put us on a level playing field, that we can go in and compete, you know, 12 months of the year, year on year and not be in and out and not, uh, you know, impact our ability to be able to really penetrate a desired target market, particularly like Southeast Asia. What are your biggest concerns about U.S. export potential in the months ahead? What, what keeps you up at night? Now, what really keeps me up at night is the fact that, you know, what is going to happen to be able to execute our business. We have the demand, we have the sales, we have the contracts, but at the end of the day, we have to deliver against that business. We have plants making that product. We've got to get it out the door. So supply chain does keep me up quite a bit right now. Especially when being here on the West Coast, it's probably the largest impact for the U.S. And I look at the number of vessels that they're saying they're sitting off the port of Long Beach and, and L.A., but then also just warehouses filling up from the standpoint, you know, we sell it to somebody, but they can't move it because they can't get it on a vessel if, if we're not doing the transport for them. So I think that's the, a, a big part of it. The other piece that keeps me up at night is when I forward view and, and kind of move myself and say I want to look into September, October moving into, into Q3, into Q4 of 2021, is how many times have customers gone out there and just bought more than they needed because they just wanted to play the supply chain Russian roulette, right? Um, so when it gets there, and then all of a sudden the brakes are going to stop and everybody's going to say, hey, I have all the product I need, I have too much. And then we see an impact back on the supply demand curve and, and ultimately the markets for for U.S. and international. So, yeah, I think we've seen that at, at, early in the pandemic, we saw a little bit, right, where people were buying two because, well, in case one doesn't deliver, right? And all of a sudden, the music stopped and said, people said, yeah, well, you know, I got 
I got two. So thank you. You know, don't send one next week. Right. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it becomes a, the magnitude of it. it. It's hard in the scale. It's hard to de- depict because you don't know who's necessarily buying two or are they buying three or four. But, you know, I think it is something that once that whole supply chain piece opens up again and becomes what I call normal or maybe we'll call it the new normal. I think that's the new terminology today for everything is what does that mean and what's sitting out there that they did double buy, triple buy or whatever. And, you know, where, where's that going to leave everybody from a, a longer term demand picture? Well, we really appreciate your time today. This is a really interesting and fun conversation. Absolutely. It's been great. Let's get the Washington perspective from a prominent economist in the trucking world. It's our privilege to have Bob Costello with us today. Bob has served as chief economist and senior vice president with the American Trucking Association for nearly 24 years. In the transportation world, he is a go-to person for insights on transportation issues. Bob, welcome to the Dairy Download. Thanks for having me. You make me sound old though, you know, 24 years. (laughs) It has been a long time. It takes one to know one. <laughs> you know, I, I think invariably these conversations, you know, COVID is a topic, right? So let's get get right at it. What were the biggest disruptions to the freight industry as the pandemic has unfolded over the past year, you know, maybe from the start to where we are today? Yeah, you know, you go to graduate school to learn how to become an economist and so forth, and you never think you're going to have to deal with an issue like this. This is obviously for everybody, including in the trucking space uncharted territory. We just didn't know what was going to happen. You go all the way back to really the middle of March is when we started to see the real big impact. And it was primarily from all of us going to the store and buying up everything, you know, including dairy products, but you know, everything in the grocery store and our volumes surged, which was really the opposite of much of the the country and the economy. And, you know, you have to pay respects to the truck drivers and we're so proud of them and they really are the heroes on the highway. So I'm curious about the import side of things. Clearly we've been buying a lot online and a lot of it comes from other parts of the world. What challenges have record import volumes caused the freight industry? A couple things come to mind. At the ports themselves, the volumes are are strong. Um, It's hard on the export side because imports are so strong that we're dealing with a situation where they're just sending back empty containers back to Asia and, and China so they can get the imports in faster. And that's sort of hurting some of our export stuff. I hear that from our members uh, quite a bit, especially on the ag side. And so that's been an issue. Driver shortage in the ports is also an issue. And, and that's a, a problem. Let, you mentioned something about driver shortages at the ports, but, but that's an issue writ large, right? I mean, your group has kept a spotlight on driver shortages for a long time. I think the last number I saw was you expect 150,000 driver shortage by 2028. What can be done to attract more drivers to the industry? You know, we have the structural issues and then we have the cyclical issues with the driver shortage. And both are important. Uh, If you go back to, say, April and May, the driver shortage went from 61,000, roughly 62,000 in 2019 to probably zero for just a couple of months. And then it came rip roaring back. And while we haven't quantified it this you know since then talking to my fleet talking to my members it is as bad as ever and so really let's start with the structural issues the structural issues of the driver shortage stem from demographics really and that is uh, both gender and age on the age side the average age of a truck driver is pushing 50 years old whereas the average age of all 
US workers is 42. If you go to a truck driver training school and you look at just the average person coming in to be trained, they're over 30 years old, even though you only have to be 21 years old to drive interstate freight. Now that's part of also part of the problem. If you graduate from high school, you're not going to the military, you're not going to college, you're not old enough to drive interstate freight. And so what happens is we don't get those people until they, so they go off to retail, they go to fast food, they go to whatever, and they don't come to us until they need a job that pays good wages, good benefits, and so forth. And so again, they're over 30 years old, and that really pushes up our average age. So we are looking at trying to get that that age with more training above and beyond what is required and so forth to at least pilot non-military folks to younger than uh, 21 to see, can we make this work? The other demographics issue is is gender. Uh, females make up, what, 47% of the workforce? They're only 6% of drivers. In, in some of my fleets that are doing really well, they're up to like 20% of their drivers are female. Of course, then also we have the lifestyle. So those are the structural issues. Recently, though, we've also had some cyclical issues around a couple things that have exacerbated the driver shortage. And one of them was a new, I don't want to call it a regulation, but it was like a new regulation that came on board in very early 2020. And this was this drug and alcohol clearinghouse. Prior to that, if you were, if you had a driver that got pulled for a random drug test, and let's say they, he or she failed it, they're terminated immediately. And often when I say immediately, I mean they're told to find the pl- closest place to park the truck and when the, when the results come back and they are sent a bus ticket, an airline ticket, and they, are, they have to go home. These trucking companies do not mess around with this. Prior to 2020, if that driver tested positive and there was no clearinghouse, and so if they went to and applied for a new job at another fleet, they'll say, oh, well, what have you been doing for the last six months? I see you have nothing on your on your resume here and didn't put any, oh, you know, and they can just lie. And they got away with it. With the clearinghouse, they can no longer do that. And so what we what happened was in, in 2020, you had over 56,000 drivers put in prohibited status from a positive drug test. But here's the remarkable thing. The vast, vast majority, like 85% of them, aren't even attempting to do the return to duty process. So they were probably drivers that were getting away with this for a number of years, and now they can't do it with the uh, clearinghouse. And so right there, you have over 55, 56,000 drivers gone out of the market. But the other thing that's happened is COVID related, and that is the pipeline of new drivers coming into the industry is off significantly. And that's for two reasons. One is truck driver training schools, because of social distancing issues, are unable to train as many drivers. Most schools are down anywhere from 40 to 50% in terms of the number of trained in 2020 versus 2019. The other limitation here is the Department of Motor Vehicles in states have limited hours, days, so issuing a Commercial learner's permit as well as a a CDL is really down quite a bit. So those are more on the cyclical side, but we have these structural issues. And so as a result, the driver shortage, I haven't, again, quantified it, but I think just talking to my members, it is really bad. And you can see that, by the way, with all the pay increases that are coming. Fleets are announcing, I almost get emails daily on fleets announcing that they're raising pay, sign-on bonuses, all sorts of stuff to try to attract and retain drivers. Less capacity, driver shortages, surging demand in some areas. Freight rates are up. 
you know, they've been bouncing around, but, but, you know, depending on how you want to measure, it looks like we're up 15 to 20% versus year prior levels. What's your outlook on rates? Yes, rates are up. Spot market rates were up, you know, 20 plus percent last year. If you look at margins for fleets, they really haven't improved very much. And that's because they're having to take that money and they're spending so much more on driver recruitment and retention. So recruitment costs, you know, going out, locating new drivers and so forth, and then retention costs, and and that would include pay raises. And then retention is also pay increases. Uh, you know, I just got a um, an email late yesterday, a fleet announcing an eight or $10,000 sign-on bonus. This is very common in the industry, as well as pay rates going up. And then a lot of fleets have put in these guaranteed minimum pays. So if the driver is available and working, yet for whatever reason, they didn't get mileage or the loads that they normally do, they guarantee them a, a minimum amount of pay to make them whole. So all of this stuff adds up to, yes, rates are up, both spot market as well as contract, but you know they are spending a significant amount of, on keeping and retaining drivers by boosting their pay. So if we could shift focus a little bit to the future, and I see this morning another story about a self-driving startup capturing another $200 million in fresh capital from investors, electronic trucks, semi-autonomous you know, or autonomous where do you see things going you know, down the road, pardon the pun, on, on some of these new technologies and how they'll influence the industry going forward? So I think they're, they're very interesting and promising technologies. But what I want to stress is this autonomous technology is driver assist, not driver replace for the foreseeable future. And when I say foreseeable future, we really believe that is decades away. One of our concerns is, and I get it, like the media plays this up. It's interesting. It's cool. You know, you saw Super Bowl ads for it and on the uh, drive on the passenger vehicle side. It's really awesome. But heavy duty tractor trailers, combination trucks are so much more complicated. What, you know, and planes have been highly autonomous for a long time, yet I don't think any of us want to get on a plane without a pilot, right? And so we believe that at some point in the next, you know, five to 10 years, you will have technology in this space on the vehicle where the driver gets the the truck onto the highway. He or she pushes, you know, for lack of a better term, an autopilot button and sits there and monitors what's going on. Because unlike up in at 30,000 feet where the traffic is very much separated, if something were to go wrong with that technology at 65 miles an hour going down the highway, that driver may have a split second to take over before there's a disaster. And so, yes, will it help? I think it absolutely helps. And, and the sooner we go to this for all vehicles, I think it helps with safety. It's just that we want would-be truck drivers, as well as the industry, to know this is no solution to the driver shortage. Kathleen and I do a pretty good job of keeping this under wraps, but we're really uh, data geeks uh, at heart. Um, if I could ask you... Is there one indicator that you love above all others in terms of the health of your industry? What I mean, if you it's the old deserted island question. If you, if you could only have one statistic to look at every week or month, what would it be? Well, it, you know, trucking is so big and so diverse. Over seventy percent of all the freight tonnage moves in this country on trucks. It's hard to do that, but I guess. Um, Probably 50% of all the freight we haul is retail related. So if you had to 
pick one. I'd like to look at retail sales. If retail sales are growing, then that probably means uh, close to 50% of our industry is growing. All right, Bob, we really appreciate your time today. Thanks for being part of the Dairy Download. My pleasure. That's a wrap for today's show. As always, we want to thank our production team, Michael Gooden and Andrew Jerome at IDFA, and Corey Romero over here at Blooming and Associates. If you are interested in what Kathleen and I do for our day jobs, check us out at www.dairy.com. If you want to share feedback on our show, drop us a line at dairydownload at idfa.org. And be sure to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again to today's sponsor, RSM US. At RSM, we know dairy with industry-recognized and award-winning Microsoft solutions from Dynamics 365, Office, Teams, Power BI, and more. RSM is your stop for a dairy-focused technology solutions provider. Learn more at digital.rsmus.com. Thanks for listening to The Dairy Download. Until next time, stay sharp. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pg.com safety. Hi, dairy members of Western United Dairies. Just to remind everyone that we are here to help you out in the best way possible to find you a qualified employee for your dairy. We all know there are good and bad days, but at the end, there's always that person you were looking for a while now. To get assistance in helping you find an employee, please call our office number at 209-527-6453 and ask for Rochelle. Or also, you may send us an email at rashell at wudairies.com. Let us take some stress off your plate. Thank you and have a nice weekend. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of Seen and Heard. Before I sign off, I'd like to share a few housekeeping updates with our listeners. This week, we will not have a virtual kitchen table meeting as we will be hosting our bi-monthly board meeting, which by the way, will be partially in person for the first time in quite a while. And for those interested in attending, you can reach out to Darby or I. Those meetings are open to membership. Second, we've been getting a lot of questions this week about vaccines for farm workers on our dairies. What is working county by county to connect producers with the appropriate agencies to get their workforce vaccinated? We won't be able to address the vaccine issues on the podcast or in our update because it does vary so much between counties and regions. If you have questions, please never hesitate to reach out to field staff members or the WUD office at 209-527-6453. A huge thank you again to our partners at Blimling, Phil Plord and Kathleen Wolfley for sharing the dairy download with our listeners this week, as well as Rochelle Echeveste and our sponsors, Pacific Gas and Electric and Yosemite Farm Credit. Remember to reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests, mlima at wudairies.com 
or Darby, D-A-R-B-Y, at wudairies.com. And remember, we'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform to both Seen and Heard and the Dairy Download. Thanks. Have a very dairy week, everyone. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. Thank you.